Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Big Freedom Show. I'm Charlie Thompson with me as always, but today the sickly John King and your favorite Lisby libertarian, Nathaniel Paul. Happy Monday, although you're not getting this until Tuesday because we have some editing to do. Hopefully Maybe. not. I mean, we did better last time. <laughs> did you guys have a good weekend? How was your Super Bowl? It's not it's not the editing really. It's more so the we record we record this at night. So we want to get it out to you during the day. We yes. all work, we all own businesses, we all uh there's you some, know there's some kids involved. We're busy. We have children by we, I mean Charlie and John. <laughs> and uh we keep real busy. So we got to get in here, we got to study throughout the entire day and then come in and But bring we should it to say you. you guys have been real busy this last week. The numbers are going through the roof. More and more are you guys checking things out? We almost doubled in three days. Uh, technically, it was a 200% growth. If yeah. we, Our mean, Twitter followers went up by 85% in the last two days. Wow. As you guys know. That's that, substantial. That is a big percentage. Um, the other thing I was wanting to talk about was we all got together and watched the Super Bowl yesterday. That happened, we yeah. We kind of watched the Super Bowl. We, yeah. we played some darts and ate some amazing food that I'm not supposed to eat, but I did it anyway. Yeah, I just moved into a house and I put this uh, dart board just up on the wall, just knowing, and I mean, in a main room, um, knowing that people were going to hit the wall with the darts, mainly that John was going to hit yeah, the wall. Yeah, he put the dart board up and I put eight holes in the wall. But you're good at fixing walls. Yeah, so. I can fix walls. Yeah, yep. it's not an issue. Nope. I don't have a license to do it, but That's I can okay. do it. I'll do it. I don't know how you figured out how to do it then. Well, um, Linda.com. Just just drink a lot of whiskey and watch YouTube videos. Whiskey? uh, Yeah. You guys want to talk about this week's uh, whiskey whiskey of of the week? week. John, this is probably helping your throat out. I guarantee it. A little bit of grandpa's cough medicine. This is the way it goes. Back in the day in the, uh, you know, the 50s, 60s, this this is what they would give babies even. Or at least the men always claim to have a cough. You know, it was a good reason. Uh, this week is like my favorite whiskey of the week. I've had this before, and uh, Nathaniel Paul uh, brought this for us. So, Nate. Thurston is my last name, if anyone uh, wants to look me up on. Thanks for filling the gap oh, there. I don't have anything. Yeah, I just wanted to go ahead and get that out there, just so my family knows that I haven't changed my last name to Paul or anything like that. I but. did once change your first name, though, but that's another story for another episode. We've changed my name around a lot of times. Um, but yeah, Nathaniel Paul, that's pretty serious. It's a pretty serious name. Well, Mr. Thurston, <laughs> if you so please. No, you tell us about it. Oh, you did. You brought the the uh, the whiskey of the whiskey. <laughs> of all whiskeys, is what I meant to say. <laughs> This is speaking of preparing all day. Colonel E. H. Taylor Small Batch. This happens to be one of my favorite uh, whiskeys that we that is probably on the earth right now. 
Um, it is one of my favorites too. Um, no. For the price, there's a bit of an issue with the price. Nate but, and I are, are hung up on the price lately. Yeah. Some of these things are so good, but we're like, man, there's something better for 20 bucks. But it's not better. It's just it's comparable. Just, you know, Russell's yeah. Reserve is Tenier. very comparable to this. But the biggest issue I have with this is with the word kernel. And who the heck spells kernel without a freaking R in the name? That makes no sense. I'm just saying <laughs> the spelling of the word kernel needs to be changed. And we need to everyone do, get the that, government but- in on that. So yeah. that's uh, from uh, that. that's from England, I bet. Another uh, another Buffalo Trace product, by the way. We should throw that out there. They seem to be the winner all the time. <laughs> well, what's the ratings, guys? Let's, okay, uh, let's I'm, get I'm, that. Go ahead. I'm I'm a little numb. Well, so Nate paid fifty dollars for this bottle. I've I've picked it up for forty two before. So so Nate needs to learn how to shop. Yeah, I don't know where he's getting this at. <laughs> I was in, at the Laverne Beverage Depot. That's so, where I went. If it was $50, which is what happened with Nate, then I would probably say 9 out of a 10. But at $42, I'm, I'm saying 10 out of 10. So let's go 9.5. Okay. I'll go, uh, I'm going to go 9 on it because it tastes so amazing. Uh, it was expensive, but at least the taste does back up the price. does taste amazing. Yeah. I'm going to go with 8.5. Okay. Once gotta, again, sheerly because of the price. tastes fantastic. Before we end this segment, I've got a quick story because I was at Bar Lines here in Nashville, and they've got a great selection of whiskey and bourbon and i asked the server hey do you have a list for me and she's like not really i was like whatever so uh i was like well do you have colonel taylor or like bookers some some good whiskeys and what's the price on them and she came back and said that uh bookers was 12 dollars a shot and colonel taylor was 24 dollars a shot which bookers is like 70 bucks at a minimum yeah but for the bottle, Booker's is more expensive. I don't understand how they... Maybe just, they've got a deal with Booker's. It's just their supply and demand with who who orders those shots. You know, you know? what? It's because whiskey neutrality is not in place. And oh, they're able to purchase... You know, they're able to get some deals on big cases. That's probably the... That's it. We should fight. Well, that was this week's... Whiskey, whiskey of the week. week. And Ajit, go ahead and get involved in whiskey too. Yeah, there saying. you go. Man, speaking of prices, holy crap. Did you guys see what the stock market did today? A lot of people got much less wealthy very quickly. And I bet you some people got super wealthy today. You know, you All never, those shorters. It goes both ways. Well, and the people that jumped back in. It was crazy listening to it. I was in the car listening on XM. So it was like back in the 50s or something. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And I couldn't even keep up. So the talking point from the uh, the more liberal news media is going to be uh, the Dow dropped 1,100 points today. It's the This is the largest point drop for the Dow in history. That is the largest point drop. Now, um, the little thing behind that is it's not the biggest percentage drop for the Dow. I feel like you're dropping Super Bowl stats right now. Yeah. There's one for everything. <laughs> so when you see that stat that says this is the largest point drop in history, um, <laughs> it's just not... <laughs> they're making it sound worse than it is. It was really bad. This was uh, what you call a flash crash or a mini crash. It, it was pretty bad. Um, I'm I'm actually so I I do stuff in the stock market. I'm on I'm in the market every day. I'm up at uh, about seven every morning and I'm watching the market open at eight thirty and I'm watching the market throughout the entire day for what I'm doing. So uh, this was a really big move today. Uh, a lot of people probably lost a, a lot of their money. Not a good thing. A lot of people can't afford the Colonel Taylor anymore. They can't. They can't, but they need it right now. Yes. <laughs> for sure. 
But uh, the um the thing that bothers me about it, uh, I get on Twitter and I go, you know, trolling. I go trolling with Nate every throwing once in a the, while. Throwing the line out? Yeah. And so I want to just be equally upset with everyone all the time. But man, liberals, I'm kind of upset with them because they've been making me defend Donald Trump so often. And I don't like that. I don't like doing that. Not that I hate the man, but uh, I'm a libertarian. I'm not a Republican. And I, I don't want to just always be defending Trump. But this is what you hear. You hear, oh, Dow's down, biggest drop in history. Yeah, Trump, There, there's your great Trump economy. He's just doing such a good job. And that's kind of something that someone who uh, doesn't know anything about the stock market or the market would say, because the market's gone up. 40-something percent since Trump was elected. It's a big run since he got elected. A huge, huge run. Um, the best the best ever. And uh, it does have a lot to do with the fact that Trump was the president. I was talking to Charlie about this earlier. If you're an investor, you're a big company and you're investing, you like the fact that we could have lower taxes. That you we just could got have... a pretty good shot to the bottom line without yeah. doing anything. You, you, you think, now that Trump's elected, uh, that corporations are going to be having higher profits. So if you are someone who invests in stocks, then you say, well, I need to get invested in stocks because their profits are going to keep going up while Trump's the president. And and that's what they're thinking. But what goes up must come down. It went up very sharp last year. Very at least come big. down for a little while. Yes. It's I, gonna... wanted, I wanted to say most of those people were actually saying, uh, you know, that the good that was happening in the economy that it had nothing to do with Trump at all. It was like the foundation that Obama built and, you know, it has nothing to do with Trump. But now that it's taking a fall, it has everything to do with yeah. Trump. <laughs> so, so while it was going up, it had nothing to do with him. I think we're giving our politicians a little too much credit in general. The market's yeah. a pretty beastly beast, and it's not the only measure of our economy. Everything else is looking pretty solid right now. Well, it's very much not a measure of our economy, and this is a big thing that we have right now. We have a market that's propped up on fake money all the time. We've been doing something called QE, quantitative easing. The Federal Reserve has been dumping money and dumping money all the time. Their balance sheet keeps getting bigger and bigger, just typing bigger and bigger numbers into their computer all the time. And uh, that's what's uh, been propping up the stock market and keeping everyone feeling nice and safe all the time. And then we get a new Fed president uh, got sworn in today. And there's been a lot of talk about how they're not going to be doing the quantitative easing as much anymore. And, and for those of you that don't understand what that is, that's the process of, let's say that there were equities or securities that people were trying to sell and there were no buyers. The Fed was going in and actually being a buyer in those situations. So it gave a, a feel good in the terrible economy. That was really the main source of movement from the Obama economy. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And what you have to understand is uh, I read a book called Fed Up um, by Danielle. And I actually can't remember her last name right now, but I will look that up for the show notes. A uh, book called Fed Up. And she uh, worked for the stock market and she mentions that the Fed increased their balance sheets during the Obama era. Uh, by $8 trillion. So this means the Fed got involved in our, and interfered in our market with $8 trillion. And they've got to pull that back at some time. Yeah. I mean, you just can't keep $8 trillion floating there, but the, that essentially doesn't exist. It's just made up. It's fake money. It, yeah. It's, this is it, going to be like a 14-episode series that we have to do <laughs> to is. explain it, how <laughs> weird stuff is now. But anyway, my my biggest point was just, you know, 
don't say so many things on the internet that, <laughs> that you, you know, when you don't know what you're really talking about that much. Isn't that what the internet's for? I think Nate? that's what the internet is for. Come on. But, you know, the stock market goes up 40% from the time that Trump was elected, and then it takes uh, a 6% pullback, and everyone's like, yeah, see, Trump's, Trump's economy, this is terrible, this is terrible. It's still up 34% from the time that he got elected in the sharpest increase in the stock market that we've seen in decades. Um, and it actually ended at 4%, so he got yeah. another 2% well, and, back. And the truth is yeah. no one knows what's going to happen no. at this point. We'll you know, take two pills, we'll see you in four months, and we'll, somebody will actually have an idea. Right now everybody's just sort of talking out their mouth. It's, it's probably yeah. going to go in a little bit of a downtrend here for a minute. I trade... I day trade in the morning, and I'm going to be pretty short heavy in the morning all the time. I'm going to be looking for places to short things because I believe it's time for the market to come down. It's gone up too much, and it's time for it to come down. But Well, and rightfully so. You know, we've talked about before that people are cashing out. You know, some people are, are selling right now. Mm-hmm. That, hey, 40 45% profit is good enough for me. And there's not a huge difference in the people that jumped in on Bitcoin and things like that and just took, oh, it's never going to come down. It's never going to come down. And, you know, I think it's a good time for our weekly Bitcoin update. Yeah. Because <laughs> Nate and I both jumped in on the Bitcoin craze, apparently a little late. Now, we jumped in as a joke. Yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. Was, $15. It was $15. Is, but the funny part about this is, is I'm going to be watching this closely. And when, oh, yeah. When the, when the time is right, I'm going to put my $15 in and smoke these two. Now, in the last, so in the last 24 hours, Bitcoin has gone down 17.4%. And Nate and I put our money in in the same day, just at different points. I put 15 bucks in. What do you got, Nate? Um, I was not on there. Give me one second. I was looking oh. at, uh, sorry, I was looking at a uh, Robin Hood that time because they have, it's just Bitcoin as soon as you open it these days. I'll go ahead. Oh, and, I'm down to $9 and 10 cents. Okay. Like I thought I got in on a better, better line here and I'm at 861. So apparently I suck at life. Um, <laughs> it was not the time to buy Bitcoin. So you whatsoever. guys have lost 40, 50%. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not going to quit making things. I'm probably going to keep doing that. And, uh. I would yeah, not, well, if I were trading, I would wait for Bitcoin. I just lost to, another uh, cent <laughs> while I was looking at it. I would wait for Bitcoin to hit $5,000 and I, and I would consider it. Um, but it's down 61% in the last month. 61% is what it's gone down. Um, it's still going down right now. Guys, that, you know, it. you know, the best part about that is though, when it was going up, I saw all kinds of people on Facebook like, oh, get in, buy, you know, yeah. just put 20 bucks a month towards it. Like, it's never going to go down. I just lost another cent. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> while, while we're talking. And now, you know, what's hilarious is all those people I saw crazing about Bitcoin, they're nowhere to be found. Oh, I saw this guy on Twitter. I was looking at some, some Bitcoin posts on Twitter, and there was this guy who had bought Bitcoin at a really early price, and uh, he called himself... Uh, he. He called himself. It just went Wolf. down again. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. Bitcoin may crash during this episode. You're on. But I'm Bitcoin down to 858. Watch. He was calling himself Wolfie on on his Twitter. It was like his name, and he had pictures of his nice cars and how he was a professional cryptocurrency trader. It's like the Wolf of Wall Street. Yes. The- now, so now this is a guy who was lucky enough to buy Bitcoin whenever it was probably at a hundred bucks, and then it. It blew up to 15, and now he's calling himself a professional Went trader. Went down again, no joke. And so his professional 
<laughs> I'm down to 857. <laughs> his professional advice for everyone in the market that people were coming on there was buy Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin. And this was when Bitcoin was at 15 or $16,000, something like that. What's that now, John? About 6000 Something like that. Uh, let's see here. I'm just looking Maybe at my 6, portfolio diminishing. So anyway, guys, there are stocks that move up and down by, I mean, so many percent all the time. This thing's down 18% today. It just went down again, 856. <laughs> you could have found tons of stocks that move up like Bitcoin does and that move down like Bitcoin does. But you know why you don't? Because that's a stupid investment. So if you want to get on some stocks that are going to move up 20 or 30%, Bitcoin's not the only one. There's tons of them. Uh, based on John's decreasing numbers right now, I've decided we're going to start another podcast. It's going to be the NPR version of Bitcoin Watch. And yeah, it goes something I, I like this. How, oh, go ahead. Welcome to Bitcoin Watch. Today with John King losing. It just went down another cent. A penny. 8.55. By the second. Let's sell this to Bravo. How Bitcoin ruined my life. <laughs> anyway, so, oh man, funny thing from today. They have to drama, you know, make everything dramatic whenever you're watching the news. And it was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they kept like, they were doing like the Panda watch thing from Anchorman. Only it was like, it was like market crash. Every time. <laughs> it reminded me of the guy from Halo. That's like Slayer. Whenever yeah. you come on there, you know? Uh, anyway, that, that was cracking me up. That makes for good day. TV, you yeah. know, just but in your face. I'm hoping I get one more drop before this segment's over. <laughs> well, oh, there it went, 8.50. There you go. Maybe we should switch over to some some governmental things, like some privacy issues, some things like that. Oh. Charlie, do you got anything? FISA man. Uh, is this something that's Trump's, is this Trump's fault or not Trump's fault? Which one? Uh, you know, does this correlate with the market? Is this why the market has maybe had a flash crash? It's probably what it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the news going around, this this doesn't stop alongside with the flash crash. In fact, I saw another article come out like an hour ago. The the FISA memo uh, won't get out of the news. And I, really, I, there's not much really to say about this except for the fact uh, that the government just won't stop spying on you. And I think everybody's missing the actual story about this. And the only person I've seen, the only real talking head or news outlet or anybody that I've seen is Judge Andrew Napolitano, who I've mentioned a few times, a good friend of liberty, a guy who believes in the Constitution and what's going on. You know, and he come out, came out and said on Fox in an interview, um, and he was going over some statistics and things like that, that the FISA court I got it wrong. I have to mention, I got it wrong a couple episodes ago when I mentioned this. Uh, it's not 80% or 85%, whatever I said, I can't remember. Oh, the people that they approve? Um, every single approval? Yeah. The, the request, warrants? The warrants? Yeah. The warrant requests from the FBI, the NSA, CIA, and all the intelligence agencies, uh, over 99% of them get approved. So the FISA court just hands out a warrant to over 99.9% .9 of requests. What kind of oversight is that? You know, I mean... Sounds like a rubber stamp to me. And, and in, re in regards to the memo, like, it's basically like a he said, she said. That's all it is. There's no actual... There's no real factual evidence. There's no... I'm I mean, wondering why this is classified in the first place. It, and <laughs> at the end of the day, it's all a bunch of hoopla just to be like... Oh, look at us. We're the Republicans kind of take away a little bit from the Russian investigation, which there's no evidence there either. And then also to be like, oh, we're the big bad Republicans who are exposing all of this. 
And my thing is, no, you're not. Because Nunez and the intelligence community, and what makes me the most upset about this whole thing, is that they sat on this information knowing that there was a little bit of corruption in the DOJ and the FBI with these text messages between these people. They sat on this and they had this information while the FISA Act was up for uh, a renewal. And overwhelmingly, Congress and the Senate passed this. Overwhelmingly. And they extended the government power and they extended the FISA Act for another six years. Then all of a sudden, two weeks later, they decided to come out with this memo. It just proves that the Republicans are just as dirty and in bed with government and wanting your information and spying on you than anybody else. The Democrats are no better. It's all the same. Do you feel safer, Nate? Six more years? I don't. Actually, every single thing that the government does to make me safer makes me feel less safe. But are you still losing money on Bitcoin right now? I can't right stop now? watching it. You can't stop losing money on Bitcoin. Off. I gotta shut it off. So, no, everything the government does to make you safer, honestly, it makes you less safe. And what bothers me about this is this should have never been an issue it's very clear in the Constitution, and I know Charlie has got some Thomas Jefferson quote lined up right now. He's got to. Some kind of Andrew. And Frankie's right behind Je- him. Yeah, Ben Frank is coming right up after that. But um, are you going to do like maybe a British accent with it too this time? I actually don't have, you know, any exact <laughs> quotes right now, but. But I- listen, guys, it's clear in the Constitution that the government does not have the power to spy on its citizens whatsoever. With good reason. And whenever it does spy on citizens of other countries, we're not supposed to bring the citizens of our country into it and talk about their names whatsoever, unless uh, for some reason they for sure committed a crime in that act. But what I'm talking about is the FISA court, the secret FISA court that approves 99.7% of the Uh, surveillance requests that go through them, 99.7, either they're really, really good at picking who they want to get a warrant for, or this is an insanely corrupt court, because I don't know anything. I feel like this should be 5% or 10%. I don't know anything that the government does with 99.7% accuracy, which apparently asking for warrants, it does at 99.7% accuracy. This is why the founders were so against these types of things. This is unchecked power both at the intelligence community level uh, intelligence committee level in the house of representatives the intelligence committee in the senate the president the fbi the cia the fisa court it's all unchecked unbalanced power that they can go and just decide for themselves that we don't have to follow the law which is the constitution we don't because no one's going to hold us accountable there's no one to hold them accountable unless we the people start spreading this message that we talk about and we we start saying to each other we need to elect people. We need to spread this message and get people elected that have a liberty mindset like Rand Paul. And a backbone to go with it. Exactly. <laughs> that that will filibuster, that will stand up to these types of things like uh, Thomas Massey, like Justin Amash. We need these types of people in there. Not guys like Nunez who thinks he's, you know, comes out and says, oh, look, look what I've done. Look at this memo. Look what I've known for the last two weeks. And then he's the one that pushes the actual FISA renewal. Are you kidding? me 
But guys, this is why this is in the Constitution, because the Founding Fathers knew, no matter how long ago it was when it was written, they knew that human beings are corruptible. They knew that human beings will abuse their power. And if you are a Republican listening to this, and I'm saying that because that's most of the backbone behind the FISA court and the Patriot Act and all these things, um, this power will be abused and it will eventually be used against you in some kind of way. And that's why you can never let the government have any kind of power like this because you don't know who's going to be in control of the government in the next eight years. Sure, your guy's there right now, so you're happy with the government having this power. But you don't know that Barack Obama or who, you know, Hillary Clinton is going to have this power against you after Trump's out of office. And you have to think that far ahead. That's why they said that the government couldn't do this in the first place. That's why guys like Rand Paul stand up and filibuster for 13 hours against this because they're thinking long term, they're thinking constitutional, and they're thinking the right way. And don't forget. Also, a little sidestep to this. Don't forget, along with the FISA Act, you also now have the uh, authorization where a president doesn't need a warrant for drone strikes, even on American soil, right? And they and they can hold you uh, without probable cause mm -hmm. due to what's the act called? It's the. Uh, well, you put me on the spot here. I don't know. Put you on the spot. You put. I want to say. I can't remember the exact act. It's the NOAA. I didn't plan on going here. That's why I don't have it for you. But <laughs> I wanted to let you know that those things have been passed, that the president has that kind of crazy power where he can, you know, he could target a right a right wing extremist group that's been put on a list by some, you know, unknown people. And that could eventually happen. I'm not saying that it's going to. Did you but just say he's been put on a lisp? I thought he That's did. Offensive. <laughs> I feel like you've rubbed off on him a little bit, Lispy. <laughs> All right, guys. Last I'm going <laughs> to calm down now. Let's move All on. Right, Let's Charlie, move on. Get some of that whiskey and uh, get your. Uh, well, I don't know what that would do for your blood pressure right now, but well, the your first heart rate one slowed down. The first one's going to lower it. Yeah, and then three later, it starts going through the roof. So this new thing. I don't know if you guys saw this. I don't know. If you, I don't know if you guys saw this last week, but the Trump administration has proposed allowing tip pooling in restaurants. So what they want to do is they want to open up the legality for if you tip mainly on your credit card, something like that, uh, they want to open that up for the restaurant owner to have control over how that tip gets distributed. <laughs> and what are you guys laughing about right now? Oh, sorry. I have to stop because I, I'm, I'm going to have to like, you know, I just drank the rest of John's whiskey. <laughs> Oh my God! Oh, and he's sick. <laughs> well, but the alcohol probably cleansed that, it, that right? Probably did. That's, yeah. <laughs> what proof is this? Can we set it on fire? It's probably good. What proof does it take to kill the flu virus? Somebody well, write us info at thebigfreedomshow.com. Let us know. And if it's not a virus, please don't tweet us because I don't care if I was wrong about that. But. <laughs> Look, I'm sorry for interrupting. I was just no, I couldn't cool. concentrate after thinking. <laughs> he was over there going all Hulk, like his veins like, were busting out of his head. He was trying was to like, pound the table. What? <laughs> All right, back to reality. So anyway, we're talking about... So basically, the Department of Labor has uh, gone into the realm of taking the tip system in all restaurants. They're going to open it up legally for whenever you tip on a credit card, because that's the only way they'd actually be able to track it. Whenever that goes through the restaurant system, they're opening it up legally for the restaurant owner 
to be able to distribute those tips however they want to. Now, I, they're not doing this. They have gone into, they've formed an exploratory committee on how this is going to go. Um, well, that's well, what everybody needs. Trump yeah. started that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're talking about whether or not they can do this. And, you know, I was a server for eight years. I know, Charlie, you were a server for... How long? Long, long time. Long time, yeah. Uh, probably about eight years. Yeah, I bet. pretty Something close. Something like that. Yeah, uh, we worked at <clears throat> pretty much all the same restaurants. Together John, John accepted tips at uh, Cold Stone Creamery. I did. And I did. I would wrote sing their theme a song, song and do a dance. <laughs> so anyway, they're talking. You know, the help the back of the house out. The the cooks and the prep people and all that. They're saying that the restaurant owners could distribute the tips to where the people in the back of the house who do affect the server's tips with the speed of the food, the quality, and all that. Um, they're talking about spreading that around. But what has been happening now, if you had an all-star all star server that was making a ton of money because they were able to provide ex- excellent service, could they perhaps have been having agreements like that already? Well, uh, they already do that. Uh, and For some people in the restaurant, I'll say when I worked at, uh, I used to work at Olive Garden, and so we used to have to tip out was it one percent, three percent of our sales to the three uh, percent total to the bussers, and then to uh, I don't know if it was the prep person, bartender. Or, but think, imagine bartender, if you could yeah. move twice as many tables through if you gave the cook an extra ten bucks. Yeah, and, that's and, pretty cool. Well, and, John, nobody believes in volu- uh, volunteering or volu- uh, how do you say that word? Volunteerism. <laughs> volunteerism. Yeah. Vol- volunteerism. Yeah. That nobody really believes in that. They should be forced. Um, that's what we're getting at here. The Department of Labor thinks it's their job to tell restaurant owners or give the restaurant owners the ability to confiscate their servers' tips so they could distribute them evenly because that's the only fair way to do it. And now, um, use the if, F word. If they want to make that rule uh, per restaurant, um, honestly, I, I think they could be allowed to do it because. The tip ultimately is being paid through the restaurant's payment system. Uh, only a cash tip would actually be a direct payment to the server. The other, uh, the other way, it is being paid through the restaurant, and the restaurant does technically have ownership of that money at that time. Now, I don't agree with it morally, but uh, I do think they could legally do that. Uh, they, they should be able to legally do that. But here's the issue, the broader scope issue that I have with it was that uh, we kind of have a little free market going here where uh, you make better tips in the, and when you're a server and you uh, tends to make you a better server. And then the harder you work as a server, the more money you can make and vice versa. You work your butt off all the time to make everyone happy so you can make more money than everyone else all the time. And now I know that this is on a lot smaller scale, but that honestly is the economy. As a server, you're running your own little small business where you're just going to work your butt off so you can make the most amount of money possible for your customers at that time. And cell phones on silent, please. Come on. Sorry. <laughs> Sound like an airline attendant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that we have a little bit of a, a small economy going on here where the people who work the hardest and uh, affect everything the most can actually make a, a larger amount of money. And the funny part is, whenever the, the DOJ came out talking about this rule, I started to see all of the, the liberal side, the progressive side, being angry about this. I saw people like Elizabeth Warren. I saw people like Nancy Pelosi talking about how can you take... 
these servers money. This was money that was freely given to these servers, and it's their money. And how can the restaurant owner just think that they can come in there and take that money from them? That's theft. Clearly that's theft. That's clearly theft. I don't disagree with that. At no. all. <laughs> it's, it clearly is theft. So the funny part is here that the Democrats, and I don't know about Democrats, I don't mean to use the D word while we're doing this, but um, the the liberal side, the progressive side, and honestly, most of you listening right now are probably like, man, that is so crazy that the restaurant owner would consider taking the server's tips. That's their money that someone gave them. And I think you guys know where I'm going here. But why doesn't that apply to any income that anyone is freely given at any amount of time? And what I want to know is why can a why can a liberal I hate to keep using the L word and all these other these these qualifiers all the time, but how can a liberal uh, like Elizabeth Warren look at this situation and say? wow, this is wrong. That's money that was given to them and the restaurant owner just shouldn't be allowed to take that. How can they make that, that point right there and not see that that translates to all income? And we also have to, you know, show a little light on this. This is probably a tax grab too. They're trying to figure out a way to get their hands on the, you know, they want to get that extra bit. They don't want the restaurant owner messing with it, but... They want to get the extra bit of taxes from the server. Well, of course, to make it sound worse, uh, um, places like Salon and Vox, they worded it as this is going to leave it open for the restaurant owner to keep all of the tips if they want to. And that's simply not what's going to happen. You just you wouldn't have that kind of thing happen in the restaurant. This is playing the worst case scenario. And they're trying to get everyone on board with it by saying, oh, these business owners are going to be keeping all the tips and it's going to cost everyone billions and billions of dollars in tips. And uh, that's just not going to happen. They wouldn't do that because every single server would quit and no one would ever work in a restaurant because being a server sucks. Let me tell you guys, it's one of the worst jobs you could ever have. I would rather live in a cardboard box than serve someone at another table one more time. To to your earlier point, I want to say two things. One is that progressives don't, they act on emotion. There's no real principle uh, base to what they argue for the most part. I mean, a lot of things, and, and they do this well, actually, they, they pull on your heartstrings. They're really good at the emotional argument. Uh, and then the other thing I want to say to that is, is that it's not money that's just being given to the servers because it's actually the servers earning that tip based on upon the service that they give. I know a lot of people that, you know, they may tip a minimum because they know that servers make well below the minimum wage, but there's a lot of people that will tip more based on how the service is. So really, the better the job the server does, the more money that he earns, the more money that Yes, is given to him, but that's earned through the service that he or she gives. And so when you talk about earnings, to your earlier point, that's what everybody does on the work that you do. You get paid a certain amount, or if you're an entrepreneur, you charge a certain amount based on the service or the time and money spent that you've put into it. So the larger question is, why should servers be treated any different than any other industry, really? That's what I want to know. I want to know why the, you know, a progressive person can look at this issue and say, you could never take a server's tips. That that person gave that to them because of the service that they provided. How could you ever take money from their tips? 
and they can't translate that to someone else who provides a service. I'm actually proud all. of them. They basically argued that taxation is theft. They did. And they just didn't know it. They didn't realize Thanks, Lizzie. Thank in you. this scenario, the business owner, in this little scenario, the business owner becomes the government that's going to be stealing from the server, and uh, the server becomes the business owner. But um, I wanted to go real quick to the, because uh, <clears throat> we had this lined up after the tariffs, didn't we? Um, we had the Congress thing. Remember I was talking to you about earlier? Yes. Uh, this was funny. Yeah. So Congress, I had this little story today, and this should take a minute. Um, Time Magazine posting, Congress will vote on its own sexual harassment complaint process this week. They're going to be voting on it, guys. That's a great idea. Did they put a committee together before this? Oh, several of them, yeah. Okay. A lot of different committees, um, a lot of debates about this, about how they're going to do this. And they get to decide how they are going to decide their own fate when they do something wrong. So it's kind of like foxes voting for hen access. I guess so. They're going to do the right thing. The thing that... uh, you know, a little point here. Um, when you have a, a corporation, you know, we've had this whole sexual harassment thing going on, the Me Too movement, all these things. Um, not saying anything about that. But if you guys don't notice, when it happens inside of a corporation, I'm talking NBC, down to a production company, down to whoever it is, that person's out before the market opens the next morning. They're gone. They're out of there. One tweet, and they're gone. And we have another kind of close-to-home example here. Our mayor, Megan Barry, just came out and admitted to having a year-long affair with a subordinate that cost taxpayers, I think they said, 140000 in overtime. And potentially they were extending trips and things like that, taking private vacations on the taxpayer's dime. And the funny thing is, <clears throat> in the private sector, people resign, they settle, they're out. But what did Megan Barry say? This was, this was almost she, poetic. She's not going anywhere. And she said... In this tone, she said it in this tone, by the way, in a TV interview, she said, I know God will forgive me, but the people of Nashville don't have to. That's very apologetic. That's literally what she, that's that kind of she is said. like take a long walk off a short bridge. So this is what you get with government officials when this happens. I mean, she brought her uh, her Mister around with her. He was and, uh, he was her head of security, <clears throat> I believe. Yeah, uh, definite subordinate, and on the plan that shows subordination, he was like two rungs down from her. Yeah, so she she has complete power over this guy, and um, and she brings him around all over the place. And he's charging, uh, he's charging overtime all the time. But this is what happens in the government. Her response is, eh, you know, you guys don't have to forgive me. I didn't break any uh, four, ethics violations years, on paper. Three more years. You know? Can you guys even think back through all of the people, through this whole Me Too thing that's gone on, that have lost their jobs, lost their positions, lost everything? How long did Matt Lauer last, like? 30 seconds? 30, he was gone. The, before it even came out, it was, hey, I'm quitting. And then they're like, it's the sexual harassment. It was like button stuff. office buy. It's gone. Yeah. When it is the government, who cares? Can't do anything about it, you know? Um, so that's the point, is that when you have a corporation, the corporation is uh, beholden to you. They have to make you happy all the time because they have to make you happy to sell you things all the time. The government, they have complete control over you. They control your life. They tell you what to do. And so whenever they do things wrong, this is their response. Yeah, you don't have to forgive me. Yeah. That, that and I'll say something a little controversial because, uh, you know, if you don't like it, hit me up, Charlie, at the Big Freedom Show. But what I will say is I truly think that if it was a male in this position, it would be completely different. 
Oh yeah, they would be calling for his head because he's in a position of power over a second run second rung subordinate, and they would be calling for his head. Yet because it's a woman, and 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 I honestly just don't think that we'll use the fair word again, right? I mean, you can't have it both ways. Yeah, and we should note too that instead of what you just said happening, there were billboards going up all over town of "We love our mayor." I think there were ten billboards that were bought. Yeah, it's just such a different response. Probably by her security company. He's got plenty of um, money now. But anyway, <laughs> that's enough about that. You've heard enough about Nashville and uh, me. She this, too. It would be national news if it would have been a a male mayor of one of the biggest cities in the country, one of the, the second or third fastest growing city in the country. Um, and they would have actually done this with the corruption involved with it. The guy would have had to resign that day. And I want to know, what was she doing taking trips to Greece and San Francisco and just she's a mayor on the Nashville dime, by the way. Yes. How was that increasing? And one of the one of the trips, it was like I think they said he paid four hundred and ninety dollars a night for a hotel or something in Greece. Why are we in Greece? I don't understand. Well, you know they say that Nashville is the Athens of the South. <laughs> so well, that worked out well for Athens, yeah. didn't it? <laughs> Let's not go that you way. Just came up with that off the top <laughs> of your head, didn't you? That's good. It's, Look, speaking of Nashville, which is where we all live. Uh, John, how's your house coming that you're building here in Nashville? You know, I'm getting a little bit closer. Had a meeting with the bank this week. Um, now, you know, our main story that we're going to get to, uh, obviously, I want that to hurry up a little bit now. Um, but I, once again, I'm bringing some windows in, and Charlie, the Tariff Daddy's back. Oh. I want to quit talking about him. Tariff Daddy. Yeah, I, I want to quit talking about him, but, you know, he came out and said, Trump said, I've had a lot of problems with the European Union, and it may morph into something very big from that standpoint, from a trade standpoint. Now, while that is a completely incoherent statement <laughs> and might you know, make you wonder what you're listening to, the EU responded like this. If European exporters have to pay tariffs, that will become a two-way street. Then U.S. exporters will have to pay tariffs here. This comes from the uh, EU budget commissioner. I'm not going to try to say his name. His name's Gunther, not pronounceable. Um, yeah, so Trump fires the stuff off pretty lightly, hurts me pretty hard, and, uh, yeah, there we go. So we're starting a tariff war right now with, uh, with Europe. You know what's funny is, I, I keep wanting to Google and not read anything about new tariffs every week, but he's just picking fights all around the board. And the funny thing is that I had a friend point out, even if you believe that tariffs are, are, are an equalizer, shouldn't he have waited until our manufacturing infrastructure came back a little bit? Like we've been in 40 years of decline, and he's like, oh, no big deal. We'll, we'll. No, we can take care of it with our own rundown machinery that we have here. So, so to keep the list running, we've got, you know, lumber, solar panels, uh, windows, all goods from the EU. And uh, thanks to uh, Stephen Mnuchin, his uh, treasury secretary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, advocating for, a, you know, a small dollar, a poor dollar. Uh, just in general, everything's more expensive. So, But I don't want you to forget... You make America great again by making tariffs great again. And that's what you can expect to see. One of the things you can expect to see in the great American starter kit. Yeah. yeah. And and I'll keep you guys updated on this. You know, I anytime the tariff daddy makes a move, I'm going to expose it to light. Charlie's got FISA. I've got the tariff daddy. Nate pretty much takes everything else. I just want to point out one little thing with the everything else. This is exactly what happened um, back right after the Great Depression. Depression. They passed the uh, the Smoot-Hawley Tariff Act after that, and uh, they decided that the way to bring us back from the Great Depression was to just put tariffs on everything. So our our manufacturing would just go crazy, and it would be amazing. 
Um, and what happened was we put tariffs on everyone and then they reciprocated. <laughs> That's not a real word. Uh, and then they went ahead and... Uh, Just and say beautiful, best, greatest. They put the best, beautiful, most greatest and huge, <laughs> um, beautiful tariffs on us after that. So they put tariffs on all the other countries. All the other countries put tariffs on us. And guess what? We It took us a lot longer to get out of the Great Depression than it probably should have. And... If Trump's not careful, he's going to tariff us into another depression. Well, and the, the other funny thing, and I know we've hit this a lot, is that, you know, in my case, I'm trying to buy something that's vastly superior to what I can even buy here for less money. And so as a consumer, he's just going all over me, you know? <laughs> There's no other way to say it. I don't know what that's to say. That's the best way. Yeah, he's, he's just, you know, I don't have a choice. It's not like I'm choosing... I could spend five times as much money and get an inferior product in America, and I'm not dumb enough to do that. So no matter what he does, I'm, it's not going to work. Hold on, guys. Reciprocated. All right. I did it. You got through that. Good job. It was pretty good, right? All right. So that's enough about the tariff, Daddy. Where are we going from here? Now we're on to... Let's... Uh... Nate, you brought up a really good story earlier. Before the show, we were you know, just kind of laying things out, and this was something that we've talked about before. We kind of did a whole episode... Uh, so if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to our healthcare episode where we discuss in depth what's happening with healthcare. Um, it's not as big news right now, but I do want to say this is kind of a crazy story that came out. Uh, Nate, there was this girl who went mm -hmm. to the emergency room and, and ended up with a $15,000 bill, even though she has insurance, right? Yeah, she had insurance and they didn't cover it. And so this story is about a, a, a young girl named Brittany Cloyd. And uh, so it says that she went to the emergency room in Frankfort, Kentucky, doubled over in pain. She had called her mom and told her about her symptoms. Her mom was a, was a nurse, a retired nurse, and her mom said, you need to get to the ER right now. It sounds like appendicitis. So she decides to go into the ER, and she's in a tremendous amount of pain. She goes in, she gets a CT scan, an ultrasound. And they end up finding out that she doesn't, in fact, have appendicitis. She has ovarian cysts. And so they refer her to a gynecologist and end of story with the ER. And she ends up uh, a few weeks later getting a bill from the ER for $12,000 that has been denied by her insurance carrier. Which we should preface this. Nate, have you ever been around, or Charlie, have either of you guys ever been around someone that has ovarian cysts? Yes, yeah, I'll go ahead and be a little bit personal and say back whenever, you know, I was like 19 or 20, I've, I've been with my wife forever. This, you know, she was in some agonizing pain and we ended up having to take her to the ER. And she thought, I mean, she thought something was seriously wrong. Like she was going to die just crying nonstop. It ended up being ovarian cysts. So this is not like a light thing. Like, oh, I've got a headache. I'm going to go to the ER or I stubbed my toe. Yeah, uh, she she was very worried about it, and she did call her mom before she went, uh, who was, like I said, a retired nurse, and um, she recommended that she go to the ER. Now, the bad part about this is Anthem Insurance has now in Kentucky the right to deny insurance claims for ER visits for non-life-threatening... Is this a state law then? It is a state law. It is a um, a state per state thing. And right now, I think Kentucky is one of the only ones. Um, I'll have to check that because I know they were saying that one another state was about to pass the same thing. 
But the big thing is uh, the the um, Anthem Insurance said that this was a non-life-threatening issue. This was not an emergency, uh, that it was cysts that needed to be taken care of by gynecologists, and that they weren't going to pay for it. And uh, what do you guys think about that? Well, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and jump in and say that, you know, they're trying to, to curb emergency room abuse, which if you've ever been to the ER... You see everything from someone with their face just guzzling blood and just spurting. It's like Kill Bill all the way down to literally someone stubbed their toe. Yeah. and Or like if you went to the ER right now with your... Yeah. I, I'm going to be okay. I'm probably going to do some telehealth here in a little bit. A little bit more Colonel Taylor. Telehealth if it doesn't work. But so they're trying to curb that. But I think where it gets a little bit weird is that you're being subjective with something where you're in an immense amount of pain. Like I'm sure you guys can tell the difference when okay, I've got an ache, and okay, something's seriously wrong. I actually disagree. I think they're being objective. I think it's too black and white. I, I think they're, I think what they're I saying... I see that coming. Go ahead. Well, well I, I agree with you, but I think it's black and white. I don't think they're being subjective of, of at all. I think what they're saying is, is that if you come in for a non-life-threatening emergency, whether you know it is or not, uh, and and the, the hospital basically says, yeah, we're going to code this because that's what they do with the bills. They're going to code this and be like, yeah, this code represents a non-life-threatening emergency and the insurance is going to deny it. They don't look into what actually happened. Like, what did you come in with? What were the symptoms? And, and, and honestly, I, I kind of argue both ways with this. Number one, you have to take self-responsibility and understand the contracts that you sign, right? I mean, don't just sign whatever people put in front of you. But at the same time, I think Blue Cross here with Anthem, which is their largest for-profit uh, part of their business, is, is this is just bad business. Yeah, I, th you, I think sometimes capitalism, look, we love the idea, obviously, but sometimes people do take it the wrong way, but they're not going to survive with that. This is going to be so much bad press well, she's not going to end up paying for this. I can promise you that. <laughs> but the problem is we don't have free market health care, so they could survive. They're, this is a, this is where the free market would actually take care of this relatively, like, really quickly. This one story breaks, and then most people who have Anthem be like, yeah, I'm getting rid of Anthem because yeah, uh, these guys I'm suck. I'm dropping Anthem. I've got 150 other choices I could choose from right now. Why would I keep Anthem? But, but they wait, don't Nate, do this. you've got, like, how many choices, actually? Uh, probably one other one. Oh. I would say, or none, I, w I would say, is the actual case. So that's why uh, what Charlie said is we don't have a free market in healthcare, and this is what happens outside of a free market. We honestly, we have a government-controlled healthcare insurance market right it's now. It's a perfect example of crony capitalism. It honestly is. It's a, it's a perfect example of any kind of, I mean, this is we're near socialism with the healthcare market right now already. We have a government-completely-regulated-and-controlled health insurance market, and it's gotten us down to where each state has one or two two options for healthcare insurance. That's all they have. If this were a free market where you had hundreds of health insurance providers, this would be a no-brainer. Their stock would drop 50% that day and everyone would drop them or they would fix this problem that day. I do wonder, especially since we're kind of all about contracts being the solution to everything, I do wonder if this sort of contract would hold up in court where you really let's say you have the perception that you feel like you're having a life-threatening injury, but you're wrong. Can that hold up? I mean, as a patient that's making the decision, you're, it's just it sort of like... depends on the wording in the contract. I it depends on the judge you get. I mean, yeah. there's, <laughs> you they, know, there's, there's, judge that, there's judges that are, um, let's say, activists. I mean, they, 
uh, you know, as terrible as this sounds, like I said, you know, signing or a company even putting a contract like this together does not benefit their clients. And, and really they need to be more subjective and they need to figure out, Hey, if somebody comes in with these symptoms and it could like chest pain, for instance, there's a lot of things that can cause chest pain and I'm not a medical professional, but I've been around it long enough to know there's a lot of things that can cause chest pain. And you come in with chest pain. They always tell you like, if you have chest pain, go to the doctor. It could be a heart attack, right? And what if it ends up being like, you know, uh, indigestion? Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, maybe just like you got hit or something like that. And it's not a big deal and they do chest x-rays or whatever. And it ends up not being, you know, heart attack related. And you're just, you're going to sit here and be like, oh, we're going to deny that because you're some, somehow supposed to know. And to your point earlier, John, I get what they're doing. They're, they're trying to curb all of the ridiculous charges that they're having to pay for, for people coming in for non-emergency related things. I mean, that's probably, probably one of the biggest drivers of the cost of healthcare is probably emergency room uh, overrun people coming to the emergency room when they shouldn't, when they don't need to, especially people that can't pay for it. Well, a funny thing too, and this is just something that happened personally to me. I was sick one time, a lot more sick than I am right now. I had just splitting pain in my ear. And so I went in, I, you know, and they checked my vitals and they realized, Hey, your blood pressure is kind of high. Well, it turns out I've had high blood pressure since I was like 18 years old. It's just a genetic thing. So I was trying to be, since I'm managing my own money and my own health care, I was trying to do the economical thing. And I went to an urgent care. Well, then they refused to see me and sent me to, like, basically demanded that I go to an ER. And so I feel like that also sort of leads into this. And, and part of the problem is that, you know, even in that case, I got to the ER. They said, why the heck did they send you here? This was completely non-life-threatening. This is all, guys, it's, we've already said it here. This is all just big symptoms of an even bigger problem that are symptoms of an even bigger problem. And the big problem being that we don't have a free market healthcare whatsoever. We've got, and then we've got people going into the ER. They're using it as a walk-in clinic all the time. We know that that's an issue. You guys know that if you go into the ER, they're going to take care of you. They're going to give you a prescription and they're going to send you a bill that you really never have to pay. And so people have started using the ER as their own personal walk-in clinic that they don't have to pay for. And honestly, Anthem is just trying to fix it right now. They're, they're trying to come up with a solution for stopping people from making bad ER visits and taking advantage of the system all the time. But the system is broken. We don't have a free market. The ER costs too much. But we could have a whole nother episode about why the ER costs too much. And you all, you guys all know it's because they're forced to take care of people that they know can't pay for the service. And when you legislate the way that people, that a company is able to make a profit, look, this isn't straight capitalism. Whenever they can only make a certain amount of profit, they're going to do whatever they can to try to secure that profit. This isn't a, a pure capitalist environment. So it looks like they're bad actors, but in reality, they're just trying to deal with the situation that they've been given. It'll be used as a bad example for capitalism. It's like the you're worst saying, it'll be ever. used as it. You know, Salon and Vox and these places are going to say, well, look at what this insurance company is doing. This is not capitalism. Capitalism does not involve an entirely regulated market where you can't make a move without an act, without an act of Congress saying that you can do so. That is not the free market. That is not capitalism. This is a business acting knowing that they have their own little monopoly there in Kentucky. They know that they have it. A monopoly, a monopoly thanks to the government in Kentucky and the, and the federal government. They know they can do 
pretty much whatever they want. And that is not free market capitalism. That's something entirely different that we don't and like. It doesn't at all. work for the post office. It doesn't work for a hospital. <laughs> not at all. Well, guys, that's all the time we have here at the Big Freedom Show. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, I want to say that our numbers are growing, like we mentioned at the beginning of the show. But what you can do to help us out is please share the show, like, and leave a review. It helps us more than you know. Guys, show it to a friend. Show show some kind of friend. I don't know if they're going to like it. I don't know if they're going to hate it. But you have a friend who needs to hear this right now. They need to hear these different talking points that they don't get in the regular news. Yeah, let us say it to them so you don't have to have that awkward conversation. We're happy to do that <laughs> we'll for you. We'll save your friendship for you. It's fine. And then they can you know, they can shoot all of their anger at us at info at thebigfreedomshow.com. And follow us on Twitter at big freedom show guys so thanks so much for joining it's such a pleasure to be with you we'll see you next week